You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Praise God. Thank you guys so much. You may be seated. And I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3 eventually. So you can turn there right at the beginning of that chapter. Thank you for that very kind, gracious introduction. And I didn't realize how much my name was a tongue twister, but I am. You can call me Dr. Blabstone if you want to. I don't mind that. I probably need a lot more of that in my life. (laughs) So I have so many things just to say personally that are to shower you guys and the Hubings with kindness, but I don't have time to say all that, so I'm not going to. I'll I'll mention those things tonight. But I do have a few things I want to say. By the way, there was a little leaven of humor in that. I may have spoken too quickly or I'm just plain not funny. But if we could just pause and just laugh lightly for a moment, make my ego a little... There we go. Thank you very much. Um, so, you know, I wrote, I, I, I wrote some of my thoughts out during the break so that I would make sure I got everything and could still go through my message. So there's a few things personally I want to mention to you all that I did mention to the first service. I do believe in my spirit that God's grace is great toward you, the church in this city, and this group of folks in particular. Between the two services, you know, all of you who call this church your home. I do believe the Lord has marked you out for a special mission and assignment in the city and given you a sphere of influence, given you a domain to have real impact for Christ in this city. And I know you're praying for revival, and so I would encourage you to continue to cry out for revival. But as uh, we're going to talk about a little bit today, I encourage you to cry out revival while adding to your arsenal some real deep biblical wisdom. And when I say deep, I don't mean like it's hard to get to. It's actually easy to get to. But it requires courage of heart to embrace the Bible's clear teaching about discipleship, obedience, community. What I mean by that is church family about Holy Spirit life. Uh, It takes courage to look at the raw data of Scripture and embrace it with all of our hearts, even to the point of suffering and conveniencing ourselves, as Jesus said, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, following him. That's biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is embracing the cross of Christ that comes to us, of course, by the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name. But through the words of Scripture, it takes a lot of courage to embrace the raw honey of the Word of God and eat it into us and become obedient servants of the Lord, loving family to one another, and powerful witnesses of Christ in our city. So my encouragement to you is as you're praying for revival, build these building blocks of character, loyalty, discipleship, purity, love, 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 love for one another, for God and for the surrounding community. Because when God manifests his presence, which I really believe he wants to do in your midst, in special ways, 
and in this city. I do believe you will, your prayers for a move of God will be answered. But to steward that will require a readiness of Christ-like character. And not just individually being good Christians, but I mean together forming a unit and a collection of units across the city. Uh, that we have to be tight as wineskins so the, so the wine doesn't leak out. Very, very important. Uh, just a couple of other comments along those lines. Um, I want to thank you for being such precious people. I've never met you before. Uh, I met your leaders for the first time over the last couple of days, a few brief meetings, and I want to tell you both your leadership and just what I'm sensing standing among you worshiping and praying. I mean, obviously, there's so much more to relationships than that. But at the same time, I'm used to feeling atmospheres that people create, so to speak. You know, I have, you know, just a certain experience over the years and the church is my great burden. The biblical identity of the church is my bread, butter. Um, really, it's more than that to change the metaphor. It's my blood. It's like on a cellular level to me. So I don't have a perfect knowledge of the scriptures on this, but I do have a certain amount, a lot of concern, a lot of prayer over these issues, a lot of thinking and meditating and receiving teaching and studying the scriptures, planting churches, been involved in the church a long time. So this is something I'm often sensitive to. I'm sensitive to the way we constitute ourselves. I'm sensitive to the way leaders lead. Um, I notice things, not everything. There's some things I miss, like I'm completely dull, but other things I catch. And um, I'm just so thankful for the sweet spirit of worship and of simple, pure devotion to Jesus that characterizes your prayers and your worship. I am comforted by it and have found refuge in your, uh, in your fellowship. And I just, um, it was easy to pray and to worship and to be before the Lord because you guys really worship, but you worship with authenticity. You're not hyping anything. There's a, there's an, a genuine spirit here. And so I want to commend you for that and I want to thank you for that because it, it serves people in and of itself. And certainly that's a testimony to the quality of the leaders that you have. But the real quality of leadership is their service to the people and how the people therefore blossom and, and, and do what they're supposed to do, um, really under the leadership of Jesus, essentially, but then, of course, served alongside him by others. And so it's a testimony to them. Praise God for you guys. But it's, it's not just a testimony to them. It's a testimony to you. And so thank you for that. I commend you. And, I, and, and on that basis, I do feel a kindred spirit. You know, the Hubings are some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. I, I highly commend them, but you already know them. And I know that the things they taught over the weekend were awesome. I asked them about it. And, um, but I know who they are anyway. So that they connected us, at least for this weekend, was something that would have gotten my attention to begin with. But I felt grace on it. And now that I've, I've been with you, I really sense something special among you and feel that kindred spirit because of that sweet spirit of worship that you have anyway. But also I know we have <clears throat> some shared values that are just biblical, so it's good. We should be sharing them. But also in this generation, they're not often shared. They're not, well, let's say they're more rare than they should be. So go for it continue to define and refine them 
uh, and then have the courage to live them out. That's really what we're called to do is extract you know, our values right from the scriptures. What is the kingdom? What, is it, what does it look like practically? And therefore, what should we be doing? And then we're on our faces saying, God, give us grace to do it, which is kind of what I'm going to talk about with you today. So circling back a little bit to my original point as I began to blabber, that's my name, my given name here. Um, <clears throat> I urge you to cry out for revival as you're building a community of faith with biblical wisdom. Do not take for granted things that you've inherited through tradition and default. Some of them are good, but some of them are not the best. You know, um, some of them are helpful, some of them are not. Some of them are very helpful. Use discernment, but don't compromise the straight-up teaching of Scripture for building people into Christ-likeness, for exhorting one another, according to Hebrews 3.13, and for loving one another into a community of faith that's just as much a family as a natural family is. That's biblical wisdom, because the cross is required for every last bit of what I just described. And we need help from God to carry our crosses. We need to be like Samson at the end of his life where he said, Lord, strengthen me one more time <laughs> to bring down these Philistines. <laughs> he was a strong man. His hair grew back, but he still prayed, Lord, give me the strength to do your bidding. And so that's a good prayer. I mean, Samson's life was not the ideal character sketch. There were certainly flaws. In fact, there were some you know, cautionary tales in there, but it was a great ending prayer. We should pray that at the beginning. Lord, give us strength to die that we might live. Because we can't do it in our own strength. We can't hype ourselves into giving everything up. How can you do that? Jesus said, if any man will come after me. Ah, the me is the important point of that formula. I got to see you, Jesus. I got to see your beauty. I need my heart captivated to walk with sacrifice in this life, man. We have the natural inclination towards self-preservation. Come on, let alone narcissism on the other end of that spectrum of selfishness. Jesus, help us. Um, blind us to things less valuable and open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from your law. Come on now. Lord, we need you for everything. Lord, we need you to need you. We need to hear your happy beatitude that says, happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Ah, Lord, yes. I'll impoverish myself of everything else if I could see the quality of your kingdom with clearer eyes. I need to see it. So just like you teach, Lord, in, in, in your parables of the mysteries of the kingdom, in Matthew 13, oh, he sold everything for joy over the field that has the treasure hidden in it. If I know the value of that treasure hidden in the field, then I could sell everything else then I'll have the strength to die. I don't want to use that as a cop-out. I want to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, open up my heart so I see the beauty and value of your kingdom. Because I could pass a theology test about that right now. In fact, I could pass a polygraph test. My heart would be at rest. My nerves would tell the truth. Yeah, he really values the kingdom. But I can tell inside myself that I need more value for God's kingdom. <clears throat> I need strength to die. 
Holy Spirit strength to yield to him and live a life lived in love for God and love for my church family and love for the world so that when God does manifest his spirit, there's not too much of me in the equation that spoils what's happening and spoils it and then blames other people for it being spoiled. That happens in moves of God. Many of them end in infamy and sometimes tragedy. Some of them don't. Some of them just fade into the next move, thank God. But some of them end badly because God, no matter what he wants to do by his spirit, no matter what special things he does, whether he speaks to us in prayer or manifests his presence over a whole city, over all the Hebrides, islands off the coast of Scotland, right? Duncan Campbell describing revival when God steps down, when the fear of the Lord grips a community. Even something that spectacular, historic, regional, let alone city-oriented, it was an entire region, history-changing, still God completely assumes we're reading our Bibles and cultivating from it biblical wisdom and living accordingly. Right? We have our Bibles, we know what to do. We have the Holy Spirit, we know how to pray for him to touch us and help us. So we should be doing these things so that when God does move, we're as ready as possible, even though we'll still be getting ready to the end of time. Amen? So that's really my main urgency. I could literally stop preaching right now. <clears throat> and if I were hungry enough, I just might do that so I could get to lunch quicker. But I'm not quite, so you're also captive to my more natural uh, desires for food. I guess the adrenaline's pumping enough. So... These passages of scripture are very definitive to me. I'm not going to read from them. I'm going to refer to them. Um, as, as our communities of faith are trying to cultivate a biblical life, a life of wisdom, which remember what I mean by that? It's a cross-centered life. <clears throat> yeah, wisdom is not just something you learn. Wisdom is something you catch in your spirit because it sees the wisdom of the cross when everyone else sees foolishness. Come on. It sees the power in the cross when everyone else sees weakness, even Christians. The cross is one of the most shrouded elements of our faith to the Christian church of America. Who I hope that's true because it's pretty heavy. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't like that it's true, but I hope what I'm saying is true. But it's what I find. I find that you know, my own soul resists the cross. But oftentimes, whole church ministries are predicated on avoiding the cross. That's why whole New Testament epistles are written like 1 Corinthians and Galatians. Stop avoiding the cross in the name of Jesus. And 2 Corinthians, not just 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and you know, scattered throughout everywhere else. Apostles built their whole ministries on avoiding the cross. And yet they wanted to be known as great Christian ministers and have influence over people and even steal the sheep whose hearts were won by the message of the cross. So not only did they want to fake it, but they wanted to steal the ones that weren't faking it. And they were succeeding to a degree, which is why Paul didn't even give thanks for what was going on in Galatia. Who bewitched you? These were Christians infiltrated by false Christians, and they were convinced by them, some of them were, and in danger of more. And I'm sure Paul's letter had massive influence 
You know, only God in history and then later we will know what happened after that. But 1 Corinthians you read and then there was worse problem in 2 Corinthians and it was a very similar pattern. False apostles had come with the opposite of a a cross-centered message. But deeper than that, they came in the opposite spirit of a cross-centered life. But they mastered the lingo. You would not know they were wolves by the clothing they were wearing. They had the verbiage and they had the presentation. They had the pedigree. They claimed the right historic, ethnic, religious background. They were connected to the Jerusalem apostles or claimed it. They had the lingo and they had the great speaking. And oh man, did they boast about their prophetic experiences and being transported here and there and everywhere. And Paul's like, they don't love you. They seek you so that you'll seek them. They just want you. They want to boast in your flesh. That's among the Galatians, that region of churches. For the Corinthians, it was something very similar. It's like they just, they just want to use you as their platform. You are their audience. You are their fame. And you are their fortune. And Paul, and of course, what was at stake for Paul, these, this was a church he had planted, and, and they were criticizing him, uh, the, the false... Anyway, the, whole, the, the, the point is, to undergird what I said, biblically speaking, the church is really going out of its way to have a biblical Christianity without the biblical message of the cross as lifestyle and as proclamation. So if you're really praying for revival, I really encourage you. Now, do you hear where I'm coming from? Find the jewel of the kingdom that rotates around the access of the cross of the Messiah King Jesus. Get a hold of it and never let it go. Exhort one another by the Holy Ghost into a cross-centered life so that therefore and thereby you would also be walking in the power of the resurrection because that is the happy upside to the cross life. God anoints those who would lower themselves, right? Didn't Jesus teach that? If you exalt yourself, talk about living in an era of self-exaltation. Man, do we got to promote our ministries? Paul would be all over social media. Really? Does Paul need our electronic uh, technology? And believe me, I'm all for technology. I love my computer equipment. I have, an, I have thousands of volumes of books right here in this little thin piece of metal. I'm all for that. I scroll through sometimes. I'm cautious with it. The Apostle Paul's reach is a, is a million, billion, trillion beyond what he could do on social media. We act like, well, that's where everybody is. And I think there should be Christian voices there. Don't get me wrong, but we've made it sovereign and we've promoted ourselves. It's like, well, we got to get out there. We gotta, you got to make commercials. You got to have a reach. You got to have a reach if you want to have a successful ministry. You got, you know, you got to reach the people. And I'm like, man, it just, to me, that just feels so empty. And it feels like people are exalting themselves. I believe people are called to use it. Don't get me wrong. I think anything should be managed. But the way it's being used in Christian ministry to me is, is usually more self-exaltation than effective gospel proclamation. And Jesus said, if you exalt yourself, let alone every other way we do that in our pride, if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. 
if not in this age, in the age to come. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So that's our job, to humble ourselves. The lower we go, the more he lifts us up. That's the biblical pattern. I encourage you to embrace that wisdom together as family on mission, as you're praying for revival, so that not only will the, the manifest wine not destroy our wineskin, but rather it will be uh, duly, righteously, and beautifully expressed through that wineskin. Those passages of scripture in this light that mean so much to me and are definitive for our ministry, I'm just gonna throw them out there uh, quickly. Of course, Matthew 16, where Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And right there at the, uh, the end of that passage, he, he calls his disciples to follow him. Why? Because Peter was resisting when Jesus announced the cross. I'm gonna, I'm gonna suffer and be rejected. Peter's like, I just announced you're the king. You're not going to be shamed on the cross. Jesus called him Satan. He recognizes the demonic, even in an apostle at that moment. Even a real apostle, as long as he's rejecting the cross, Jesus sees satanic influence. Extraordinary. See why that passage is so important to me? And then Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to do the same. So that passage is definitive to me. Also, Romans 8 other passages like it, but Romans 8 uh, talks about our, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That is God's eternal purpose, is to have a people who bear striking family resemblance to Jesus. Come on. That's his will. More than revival. Revival serves that end. He wants a people. Right? In, in Ephesians 5, you have the, the bridegroom marrying the bride. The bride is not revival. The bride is the people. So if we need revival to help us along the way, so be it. By the way, it's also awesome. (laughs) It's an awesome experience. But ultimately, he wants a people who are shaped like Jesus, who are forged into the image of Jesus Christ. So Romans 8, specifically verse 29, a very definitive passage of Scripture. Um, Similarly, Ephesians 4, in as much as Romans 8 speaks to being conformed to the image of Jesus as individuals. Ephesians 4 speaks to us about being conformed to the image of Jesus as family. It's it's challenging for me to be like Jesus. It's more challenging for us to be like Jesus because we gotta gotta become just like him together because not any one of us has it all. So we need one another which means we have to develop relationships, we, which means we have, to, we have to overcome the issues that come up when we're in relationship, and there will be plenty. You can't run and hide and put on a Christian face on a Sunday when church is relationships. That's what it is. The shape of the church is not an auditorium. The shape of a church is a table. If you want to put a metaphor, that's what the apostles, Paul taught that as a protocol. He called it a tradition in the good sense of that word. I received what I also handed on to you. And he taught at least three important traditions. One of which was the Lord's Supper as the family meal at which the Holy Spirit gifts were shared by the members. That's the way he taught them to love one another when they gathered as a church. He taught them that because it both expressed and fostered family. Because he knew that's the way the body is formed. And that's what Christ indwells. 
He doesn't just dwell in convocations, which are biblical to hold great meetings and to have you know, one person speaking or a couple or whatever. That's all fine. That's all useful. But that's not definitive for the church. The church is a family. Its shape is around a table. That's what the apostles' teaching shapes people into. They were committed steadfastly. This is another passage. My last one that gives, I'll give you that's definitive. That's definitive for, for me. Acts 2.42, they were committed steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It was their way of life. It was their collection of rhythms that made them who they were so that if people who were outside the faith just got kind of caught up into this community, which was itself a way of life, they would get discipled just by being around the people then all the more poignant, powerful, effective, and incisive when the teaching of the gospel was consistent in a community whose life corresponded to that gospel as a way. Very, very important. This This should be the contention of the church. We contend against the forces that seek to define us according to the traditions of men rather than according to the scriptures and the lifestyle laid down for us by the original apostles and the gospel they preached, right? So Acts 2.42 is another passage. And that's in light of Ephesians 4, which Paul is teaching there the five ministries, the equipping of the saints so they can build a body that is a family rather than an organization or a ministry franchise. I don't say that just to be cute so that I can poke at the system. I don't. I don't delight in that. <clears throat> I, I just discern the body and I'm going to talk about it because that's where he dwells. Right? As a, I, I, you've read my book, so forgive me for, I don't mean to quote the book. The book quoted me. Ha <laughs> <clears throat> ha. God will visit the houses we build, but he'll live in the house that he builds. <clears throat> I remember my dad telling me he was divorcing my wife, uh, my wife, his wife, my mother. <clears throat> we are weak, but he is strong. I remember my dad telling me he was divorcing his wife, my mother, like it was yesterday. It was 46 years ago. I was eight years old, and I could still picture it like it happened yesterday. It was a profound moment in my life. It had deep impact. My dad was my best friend. Um, We still talk most days, by the way, so we still have a relationship. This is being streamed, isn't it? Or just recorded? What's that? Just recording recording it. Good. Anyway, (laughs) Um, so... It crushed me because I thought I'd never see my dad again. I was eight years old. I didn't know how to process this. <clears throat> and mercy and grace to all of you who have gone through this one way or the other. You know, we all live in an imperfect world. We live imperfect lives. And um, God has made a happy story out of, out of all stories that are submitted to him. This isn't meant to shame anyone. We all live with wounds that we want to be healed into scars. And so be it. Those scars make character. So just keep leaning on Jesus. But for me at the moment, it crushed me. I thought I was losing my dad, my mentor, my 
reference point for life and my best friend. I did not understand that with divorce court and agreements, there would be visitation. <laughs> and I would get to see him every week. And so when I found that out, I was thrilled because I thought I'd never see him again. <clears throat> so when I found out that there would be visitation, I was very happy. And, you know, so we had a great time. My sisters and I would go visit him every week. Uh, he'd come pick us up or, you know, then it changed where we'd spend whole weekends and he'd take me to football games. <clears throat> That's why I'm such an expert at football. My dad knew a lot at football. I'm not an expert. I'm just kidding, but <clears throat> I enjoy it. So it was wonderful to get visited by the father but it's still not God's will. If we're just praying for visitation, that's a divorce mentality. Father is not meant to live outside of our house and visit. Father's meant to live in the house with us and make us a family with him. If we insist on building our houses our way, he's so gracious he'll visit, but we should really get over the divorce mentality and fall in love with him enough to reconstitute everything we're doing if that's what's necessary and build a house that he is supposed to live in. Come on now. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's, to me, that's the language of jealousy, my church. Ironically, he builds it, but we still have to partner with him in the doing. So Paul could use language like he was a church builder. But you better believe he was building the Jesus way so that it was Jesus building his church. The Jesus way is not our way. We're happy with visitations as if we're in a divorced family. We should be restored. We should repent. And we should obtain biblical wisdom so we can build his house his way so it's him building his own house his way. Amen? I submit that to you. I've already told you what that means. It's very simple. It's the wisdom of the cross worked out in practical life. <clears throat> and we could talk more about that another time. Maybe we'll talk more about it tonight. But I need to move on a little bit with this prayer, and we'll see where we go here. <clears throat> so just a few comments on the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 3, but I'm going to begin at the beginning of this chapter. I just want to establish a couple more things before I give this prayer to you again. <clears throat> I say again because it's already in your Bibles, but I'm going to read it again and talk uh, to you about it and hopefully give it to you in a fresh way. Ephesians 3, verse 1 and following, right? So, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. So, in verse 1 he says, for this reason, and he's about to tell them, I, I drop to my knees in prayer. That's what he's about to tell them. For this reason, here's why I pray. Here's why I drop to my knees in prayer. But he pauses before he mentions prayer. And he returns to that thought in verse 14. So we're on a tangent. Thank you, Lord, for Paul's tangents. <clears throat> it makes me feel a little bit better about myself, though mine are not like his. Before he enters into the prayer, he has to explain a little bit more of what he prays. If you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. Paul calls Jesus Christ a mystery. 
That's in Colossians 1 and 2. Christ in you and just Christ is a mystery. Paul calls the church a mystery. He calls the gospel a mystery. He calls the resurrection a mystery. He calls the salvation of Israel at the end of the age a mystery. Which one am I missing? There's the great mystery of Christ and the church in covenant relationship. And that in terms of the end times purpose of God in in, in two chapters, chapter five. And then Israel's salvation in Romans 11 is a mystery, but also in terms of God's greater project for all of creation, Gentiles and Jews. But it's all a mystery. It's all in hiding unless God reveals it to the human heart. How does God reveal mysteries, though? He does not reveal mysteries by hiding them in the darkness and then bringing them out. God's mysteries are not hidden in the darkness. That's the occult, where you got to enter in and you got to learn certain incantations and you have to learn certain names and keys because it's all in the darkness. But when you're in that elite, what's it called? Esoteric. When you're in that elite group, you learn things and you gain more power. That's satanic. God doesn't hide his mysteries in the darkness. God hides his mysteries in the light. He publishes them. They're public. Anyone could read about it. Anyone can hear about it. But it's still veiled to the human heart if our hearts are not unlocked by our own humility in our approach to God and then God's grace giving us grace in our hearts. If, we're, if we humble ourselves, he pops open our heart to see, wow, Christ's death is valuable for my soul. Who cares what the universities of my, of my culture are saying? I embrace his foolishness so I can embrace his wisdom. Come on. We in our foolishness thought we were wise. He played the fool and he opened our eyes. I love quoting this song. We in our weakness believed we were strong. He became helpless to show we were wrong. If we're humble enough to follow what this songwriter called God's own fool, where only the foolish can tell, believe the unbelievable, come be a fool as well. If, if we're humble enough to be called the fool by the people around us, then God will show us by his grace. You see the value of that cross and resurrection? You see, you don't, you don't just believe doctrinally you're going to be raised from the dead. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's a mystery. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We, we will not all sleep. We shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Why is that a mystery? Churches across the world teach on the resurrection. Yeah, but not everybody catches it in his or her heart to where it exerts influence over the way we live today. That's when the mystery is revealed. God reveals his mysteries when we open up our hearts to him in humility and say, Lord, help. I accept you as you are, not as I want you to be. And God says, then I will grant you the ability to see and hear and taste and feel the beauty of my kingdom that is hidden from everyone except for little children. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you did hide these things from the wise and intelligent and you did reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for in this way it was well-pleasing in your sight. And so there it is. As an apostle, Paul said, I've been shown a mystery. Well, many mysteries. There are several mysteries. But the one he's talking about here is the way the gospel creates family. Specifically out of Jews and Gentiles who have no business melting into the same social group, the same kindred family, because of the spiritual 
social, ethnic, and religious divisions throughout the whole world, but especially between Jews and Gentiles. There ain't no way they could just come into the same covenant community and be a family. But Paul says, ah, oh, that's what God has done. They don't even, Gentiles don't have to even, you know, submit to the Mosaic law. There's no circumcision. There's works like that. They just, they pledge themselves to the same king and they're instantly family. Paul says, I've seen this mystery. I've seen it in my heart. I own it. Now you've got to be that same church locally. That's, the, that's where Christ dwells. There's no other way. You can't build your own franchises and ministry organizations and call that the church and think you're duping God. I see the mystery, Paul says. You got to catch this mystery. So before I say the prayer that will get your eyes open, let me explain a little bit of what I'm praying for. In verse four, what, by referring to this mystery, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of the Messiah. By the way, guys, I'm praying you catch this mystery. Not just that you agree doctrinally, but that your spirit intuits what's being said from the scriptures. So that you will urgently, therefore, follow Jesus as disciples while cultivating family on mission. Because that's what the mystery does when it's made practical. <clears throat> so Paul's saying, look, based on what I've written so far and throughout this epistle and others... He's saying, you could tell this thing has infected me. So you can believe what I'm saying. By the way, that's why it was canonized later as scripture. In other generations, this mystery was not made known to the children of humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Specifically, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Brothers and sisters, let me say one other thing about this among the million other things I'm going to say. Just one more among the last thousand. <laughs> and what was that after that introduction? <clears throat> the gospel creates family as its climactic expression. The testimony of a dramatically saved soul is powerful and effective. A greater testimony is people who have no other business being a family, but they've become a loving family. They're the declaration that Jesus Christ's death was effective and his resurrection was effective and he rules as king in his ascension. Jesus himself said this, they will know you're my disciples because of the love you have for one another. That doesn't mean you just have citywide prayer meetings. That means you cultivate covenant with one another relationally in Holy Spirit presence and power. That's the climactic expression of what Jesus did on the cross and resurrect and in his resurrection and ascension. That's why Jesus said, by Paul, excuse me, Paul laid out at the Lord's Supper, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes by your partaking of the supper. Not just because of what you say when you have a chip and a sip in communion. That's not what Paul was saying. It's because you gather at that table as people that would never gather together in this city. In fact, the Corinthians weren't, which is why some were sick. They would separate for the dinner. Paul's like, do you, do you realize what you're expressing at that supper? The covenant people of God, family who love one another. And the people you would never eat with are now the people you're going to exalt higher than yourself in Christ. 
The gospel creates a people who are family as the ultimate expression of the gospel. And Paul goes on to say this in this very passage. The Gentiles are on the same footing as Jews. We pledge ourselves to King Jesus by faith. We get baptized. We are now a family. The non-Jews don't have to go through certain, you know, the circumcision and at least obey the certain days or whatever. Jews can do that if they want to, but we don't have to do that to be a family. It's now all by faith in Christ Jesus, but you better be a family and don't just claim the doctrine for your own selfish self. Oh, good, I'm saved. I don't have to go through any hoops. Yeah, but the whole point is to become a family. So this is Paul's urgency here at setting up his prayer. I was made a minister in verse 7. He says, I was made a minister of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. In other words, it's effective by the Holy Spirit. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. To preach to the nations the unfathomable riches of the Jewish Messiah. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. That was Paul's job. To bring light to this mystery and to administrate it in his ministry. We need the same revelation today, even in our church world. We need a revelation of the ministries, of the mystery, so it could be administrated properly. And we don't just go through church as a routine by default, what we've inherited. That's not God's will. So to bring to light what's the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, Buckle the seatbelt, verse 10, not because of what I'm going to say, but because of what Paul's about to say in the scriptures. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. When the church constitutes itself as a family in light of this passage and every other passage, where Jews and Gentiles are coming together without any added covenant responsibilities to becoming the people of God, and and we love one another, which is what he's after here, creating a family, not just an attendance assembly, not weekly conferences, not a ministry company, but an actual people who love one another, who are connected to one another, who share the gifts with one another, who share life with one another, Paul's saying when that happens, now you're announcing to the defeated demonic powers, this is what God has done. This is what he's done. The United Nations, in that little group, that humble little group that meets in Ames, Iowa, they've come together where they would never have come together before because of the power of the blood of Jesus and the power of his kingship in resurrection and exaltation. That's what you think, you demons think, You saw something when he got raised from the dead and you knew you were defeated forever and got gutted right then. And then he soared above you. You think you felt bad then when he pulled you on like a train announcing that you're now, it's subjected to him through the whole universe and he mocked you to the whole universe. You think think that was bad? Wait till that church becomes mature. Then you'll see what his sovereignty looks like in the nations that you've tried to divide and destroy. He's brought them together in the power of his blood and resurrection. So Paul's like, church, I'm praying you'll get this. So you'll start to stop flipping around down all these tributaries of human traditions and whatever other way you think of church and you'll become a biblical church that contains the sovereignty 
of him who is worthy because he died for us. And now he's raised from the dead. He's Jesus. He's exalted on high. He deserves a body that fits up into his headship. Not created by our denominational specifics, but by biblical wisdom. So Paul's saying, I'm about to pray you'll catch this. But before I do so, I want to say a little bit more. He's saying, I'm telling you, when this church is the church, then the rulers and authorities in heavenly places look down and say, oh man, God did way, way, way more in that Messiah than we realized he did. We were already defeated, but at least we were elongating history by causing the church to be more compromised in its constitution and mission. But now that that church starts to come together, they know their time is short. So, wow, yeah, okay, okay. It's now 12.07, and i have yet to enter the passage, so I might, I'll just have to finish tonight. That's what I'll do. That's what I'm going to do. So I'll, I'll finish this passage, and we'll carry on tonight. How's that sound? Is that a good idea? So all this in verse 11 was in accordance with the eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on now, eternal purpose. God has a plan for all of creation And we're a part of it. How do we join a part of it? Just developing this biblical church right here in our city. In the midst of regular real life. We contribute to the eternal purpose of God. And wait till you see our rewards at the end. As we do this. So Paul says in Jesus in verse 12. We have boldness, confident access through faith in him. Paul's ever preaching the gospel and calling people in and reminding them. So verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. Remember, he's in prison for this. They're your glory. I look the fool on the outside, but before God, we're each other's reason to boast. For this reason, I return to my prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the wealth of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. I can't finish tonight. The first service already heard that message. I'm going to end soon. I'm a good boy. Make a few comments and then end. You know, you can listen to the first service message, but I just want to submit to you that we need strength to pull this off. Like extraordinary strength. Like feeling our weakness so deeply, prayer is something that's even beyond desperate. It's like, well, this is my life now. I just have to go to God constantly and fetch strength so that Christ will dwell in my heart and our hearts together as the sovereign king, not just as the little Jesus who lives in me and gives me life eternal. But we have to make room for the sovereign, almighty Jesus to live his life in and through us in Ames, Iowa, and in the region. And to do that, Paul prays, if you want revival, you better first pray for inner strength. Because the manifest presence is not just a spiritual experience. God's presence is God in his sovereignty. And he does not want to visit He wants to live in our midst. Therefore, we should be praying for strength. Paul's an apostle. This is scripture. He knows how to pray. He's not just praying loosey-goosey for revival. 
He's saying, oh, how I pray that the Spirit of God would strengthen you in the inner person, which requires understanding our weakness. But he's praying that you'd be strong, that we would be strong, strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner person so that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's the indwelling God in the house. And that you being rooted and grounded in, in what? In love. This is his prayer. Rooted and grounded in love. Family. The mystery of Christ revealed. That in so being rooted and grounded, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What a powerful prayer. We already are filled up with God if we're born again. We are. Even experientially, we experience his presence. But Paul's still praying this prayer for people who already have the presence. He's saying, you need a full expression. You don't have that yet. So I'm, I'm teaching you through, this, path, through this, this letter and his other letters, Paul says, and I'm praying this prayer. We need the same combination. We need the apostles' teaching in its raw form to be the people in the family that he's called us to be. And then on that basis, okay, Lord, Send revival, send your manifest presence, pour out your wine. Oh God of Elijah, hear our cry, send the fire. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess I should just end here because it's, it's, it's time to end and I would just start a new topic. So um, it's all up to you now, bro, to uh, land this plane. I'm just gonna give it over to you. And for those that can join us tonight, I'll continue one way or the other in my teaching. God bless you. Would you all stand to your feet? Wow. That's the word, wow, for a guy that knows a lot less. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and your grace on us that you, in this moment in human history, would provide moments where we catch a glimpse of your higher purposes for us. You, you didn't come to just punch our ticket to heaven, but you called, or you, you, you actually made a way to, to build a people to host your presence and to carry out your plan of redemption, of expressing the kingdom on the earth. And we just say thank you. I pray that you'd have your way amongst us, Lord. I believe there's a real, I felt at first service, this service as well, a real spirit of repentance that the Lord is drawing us into in these days to come. Of tearing down unneeded traditions and preferences and submitting ourselves to the King afresh. So we do rend our hearts, we do place ourselves before you saying yes to the life of the cross, being crucified with Christ, so that Christ can be, his, his life can be demonstrated through us and in our midst. That's the cry of our heart, Lord Jesus.
This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.